You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to focus specifically on verses 11 through 17 together for our study, but I want to read the context to you, so please follow along with me. There is, therefore, now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot Please, God, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now pay attention to verse 11 here. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. What a promise we have in that, right? So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is the word of the Lord to us today. You go to the Lord with me in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of your word, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This truth that because today, and in fact every Sunday that we gather, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the resurrection coursing through us as believers, and we proclaim that message to others so that they might come and follow you. And we thank you for that privilege and that opportunity. And we ask, Father, this morning that you would come and speak to us through the preaching of your word. As I preach, Father, I pray that you would come and give us hearts that would hear from you. Pray, Father, that you would come now, push back the forces of darkness. By your spirit, I ask that you would illuminate your word, that we might hear from you, our heavenly Father. That you would come and give strength to the weak, that you would come and give um, healing to the sick, that you would come and open the eyes of the blind. She would come and release the shackles of those of us who are in bondage. She would come and call to repentance those who are living in rebellion. 
That you would come now and speak new life, new obligation, new identity into our hearts. Help us to trust in you and to know you. We pray this in the name of the resurrected Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the promise of Romans chapter 8 that we've been soaking in for the last four weeks. It's a promise that has given many believers great hope throughout the centuries. You see, it's a promise of both immediate and eternal liberation. It's a promise of freedom both immediately and eternally. See, in Christ I am free both right now and forever. This promise reminds me that the chains of my sin have been broken. Reminds me that the power of Satan has been destroyed. Reminds me that the penalty of death has been obliterated. That's what this promise reminds me. All of this has been made possible through the horrific death of Jesus and the victorious resurrection of Jesus. See, if you're a believer this morning, you're here and you've trusted in Jesus and this, this promise of immediate and eternal liberation, it's a promise that you can stake your life upon. You're here and you're not a believer. You have not yet trusted in this promise. This is still a promise of immediate and eternal liberation. And for you, it's an invitation. This is an invitation for you to walk out of the jail cell of your sin. It's an invitation for you to leave the prison camp of your enemy. This is an invitation for you to evacuate the slave plantation and walk in freedom. That's what this invitation is about. The thing about liberation is that liberation can sometimes be a fearful thing. Because liberation from that which enslaves you is oftentimes scary. One author said it this way. He said that the most <clears throat> terrifying thing about any kind of liberation of the soul is that I have no control over when or how it happens. About that. Most terrifying thing about any kind of liberation of the soul is that I have no control over when or how it happens. You see, for me, now some 19 years ago, when I realized that I was in slavery or bondage to the power of Satan, sin, and death. Once I began to realize that, and the eyes of my heart became open through the power of the Holy Spirit, I began to live with a simultaneous thing that began to happen. A hope of being liberated on the one hand, and a fear of what I would do with that newfound freedom on the other hand. I began to ask questions inside of me. Maybe some of you have asked these questions. How would I live if I'm liberated and free? Where would I go? What would I do? Would I have to make new friends? If you think about it, if you're here with us this morning, if you're enslaved to sexual sin, 
you have to ask the question, what would the other side of liberation, freedom from sexual sin be like? If you're in bondage to fear, maybe that's you. Maybe you're fearful, full of anxiety and worry. Then you have to ask the question, like, what would the other side of being liberated and free from that fear, doubt, and worry be like for me? You're in a jail cell of your pride. You're in a prison camp of your envy. You're in the shackles of your jealousy. You're in bondage to your anger. You're enslaved to your impatience or your selfishness or your loneliness or whatever it is that makes it on your list. You ask the question, what will the other side of liberation, freedom from that be like? Again, the most terrifying thing about any kind of liberation of the soul is that you and I have absolutely zero control over when or how it happens. And this is the beauty of the sovereignty of God and salvation. So I would think about this. If, if my salvation from Satan's sin in the grave, my liberation, if it depended upon me, if it depended upon you, then this is how we'll live. If my liberation depends on me, then I will never experience immediate or eternal freedom. Why? Because I will always walk around in fear that I'm going to do something to mess up the freedom I earn. If my salvation, my liberation depends upon me, then the new life that I've built for myself will always be in danger of crumbling with my next sin. If uh, my salvation, my liberation depends on me, then I will be obligated to work really hard day in and day out to keep together what I have built in terms of my freedom. My identity will be all wrapped up in my performance. And that kind of salvation leads to slavery and bondage. Slavery and bondage will affect your life. It will affect your obligations. It will affect your identity. But so does freedom. So does freedom. Because when the Spirit of the living God sets you free, you are free from the pressure to perform, and you are free from the pressure to earn. And that's what verses 11 through 17 teaches us. Because according to those verses, when the Spirit of the living God sets you free, you can count on receiving Three basic things. A brand new life, a brand new obligation, and a brand new identity. A brand new life, a brand new obligation, and a brand new identity. Look at these verses again with me. Should be on the screen for you. Paul says, starting in verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life, new life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's the promise of new life. So then, brothers, we are debtors. New obligation. We are debtors, obligated, not to the flesh. You have a new life. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. New identity. Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Identity. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, identity. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Identity. And if children, identity, right? It just keeps on going. Then heirs. This is an identity issue. Heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The truth of this passage is that when the Spirit of the living God sets you free, you can count on receiving a new life, a new obligation, and a new identity. So say it with me. I have a new life. I have a new life. This is the first truth that we see here in these verses. Do you ever dream of getting a new life? The one you're living feels like a jail cell. Seems like you go through the same motions day in, day out. You wonder if, uh, if this rhythm you're living in is all there is to your existence. The American dream doesn't seem to be all that satisfying anymore for you. You found out that it's a big joke anyways, right? You can't take it with you when you die. Nine to five job, maybe a spouse. I don't know why it says 2.5 kids, but for some reason all the stats say 2.5 kids is part of the American dream. I don't know where the half kid is. I was probably that half kid. I don't know. You know, a house with a two-stall garage, little nest egg in the bank, green grass in your front and your backyard, which, by the way, my house is hard to do for some reason. A couple good running cars in your driveway or in that two-stall garage of yours. Uh, cable TV, some internet in your home maybe, dog named Sam, goldfish named Fred. Can't figure out, can't figure out why you still dream of having more. Why you're not satisfied with the life you have now. No matter how many things you accomplish, you still feel empty, frustrated. Keep dreaming about a new life where the grass is greener than the grass you have because you haven't tasted the goodness of the new life that you have in Christ or could have in Christ. This is actually a really common experience among God's people today. We want more. More stuff, more accomplishments, more entertainment, more stories, more, more, more. Right? Got to have more. I struggle with this too. And I need to be reminded that in Christ I have a new life. So Paul says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The truth of this passage is not, not, not only that I have been given a brand new life, but the very one who gave me that brand new life also lives inside of me. Think about that. The spirit of the living God who created all things, the one who set you and I free and brought Jesus back from the dead out of that empty tomb lives inside of you if you've trusted in him. The one who has set me free has taken up residence in my soul. 
The Spirit of the living God has saved me, redeemed me, transformed me, and He's also now living inside of me and empowering me to live a brand new life. What more could I possibly want? Why would I want more if this is true, that the Spirit of God is living inside of me? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has raised my heart from the dead. He has loosened the shackles of death. He has released me from the prison of my sin. He has conquered every other enemy that comes against me. Fear has no place in my heart. Lust has no bedroom in my soul. Greed has no safety deposit box in my mind. And control has absolutely no control over me whatsoever. Spirit, the living God dwells inside of me. I have a brand new life. He's giving me a brand new heart. He's developing these brand new desires deep down inside of me. Give me a brand new soul of absolute trust, purity, generosity, and surrender. That's the truth of the new life. This is the new life of the resurrected Jesus dwelling in and through me. And that's not all. It's not just that we've been given a new life, although that would be more than good enough. He's also given us brand new obligations. Everybody say, I have a brand new obligation. Say it one more time. I have a brand new obligation. See, it's really just a trick so I can get a drink of water. A brand new obligation. I've often talked about, some of you have heard me talk about the relationship between the got to and the want to, right? The relationship between the got to and the want to. I want something, on the one hand, so stinking bad. And it forces me into a got to kind of a mentality. I, uh, I want to be respected so badly. Anybody else here want to be respected? I want to be respected so badly that I've got to accomplish more. I, 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 I want to be accepted. Anybody here want to feel accepted by someone else? I want to be accepted so badly on the one hand that I got to tread carefully around this person or that person on the other. I, uh, I want to be in control of everything on the one hand, so I got to know more than everybody else in the room. I, I, uh, I want to be comfortable. Anybody else here like to be comfortable? Don't like being uncomfortable? I want to be comfortable. So on the other hand, I have got to eliminate anything that would come and jack with my sense of being comfortable. What happens here is uh, my want to feeds my got to, and then my got to turns around and fuels my want to, right? What this is, it's an, unho it's an unhealthy cycle. I call it an unholy trinity with me stuck in the center. My want to's, my got to's, my. Right? What was that movie? Um, the uh, um, Dory. Wasn't it Dory with the seagulls? Can everybody do the seagulls? <laughs> Haven't done that in quite a while. Finding Nemo, thank you for setting me straight. Welcome. See, I need that. There's no, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who forgot that it was Finding Nemo, not Dory. It's the same thing. Fine. All right. <laughs> do the seagulls for me. Mind, 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 right? Um, so my want-tos and my got-tos and me, right, stuck in the center. This is an unholy trinity. 
I constantly feed the thing that my soul wants, that my soul craves. And I get stuck in this cycle of the got to and the want to. And in this cycle, what happens is that my flesh, my want to's, dictate what I want. And then my sin in the midst of that then fuels what I've got to do. It's this really unhealthy cycle. It's a place of sickness. It's a place of sin. It's a place of disease. It's a place of corruption. It's a place of prison. It's a place of enslavement. It's a place of condemnation. It's a place of death masquerading as life. The want to feeds the got to, and the got to fuels the want to. Place that I commonly refer to as a banquet in the grave. There's actually a book by that title somewhere that lays out some of this thinking. Commonly referred to as a banquet in the grave where I feast on anything and everything that I'm starving for. And the result of that feasting is that I sit in that grave and I feast some more and I feast some more and I feast some more and I keep feeding all of what I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for. And at the end of that day, the food of my want to, on one hand, and the dessert of my got to, on the other hand, only starves me more and more. It doesn't satisfy. This is why if you're sitting here this morning, the lust that you have for that woman or that man is not satisfying you. This is why all of the possessions that you keep trying to buy do not satisfy you. This is why all of the achievements that you've tried to accomplish do not satisfy you. It's called a banquet in the soul. A banquet in the grave. For your soul. Paul knows this struggle really well. <clears throat> He's already alluded to it back in Romans 7, 14-25. And then here, in verse 12-13, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, obligated, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, what? You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? You will live. You see, in Christ, I have a new obligation. I have a brand new want to. I have a brand new got to. I'm no longer enslaved to sin. I'm no longer in bondage to my flesh. The payment for my sin is death. But Jesus paid the price for my sin. He paid the price in His death at the cross so that I now have a brand new life. And that brand new life is full of peace and full of spiritual vitality. I know that my sinful want to, my sinful got to has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Him who lives in and through me. I want to. My got to. It's different now. This all means that uh, I don't just sit back passively every day. You know, woe is me. <coughs> I struggle in my sin so bad I can just stay there because I have no power to get out. doesn't mean that. It also doesn't mean that I just cast a blind eye to it. Oh, like everybody's a sinner. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody makes those mistakes. Don't try to minimize it. Oh, it's really not my fault that I got angry and cussed that person out. They shouldn't have cut me off in traffic. 
Right? I'm not going to play the, the uh, excuse game or the blame game either. What this means is that I can now actively work every day. Not to earn something I've been given freely, but I can work every day to resist the effects of Satan, sin, and death. And the reason that I can now work for that each and every day is because I know that I am working not in my own strength, which is worthless anyways. I'm not working in my own strength. I'm working in the strength of the Spirit who is actually alive and working in me. See, when I want to give in to the promise of lust, I can resist that promise, that sin, that flesh. I can resist it in the power of the Spirit. I don't have to buy into the promise of lust any longer. Why? Because I know that the promise of lust is empty. When I want to surrender to the promise of greed, I can resist that promise of greed Not in my own strength, which is worthless, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit who is alive inside of me. The promise of greed is empty. It's bankrupt. This is the new obligation. I say we have a new obligation. This is what it means. Don't surrender to empty promises. And if you found yourself surrendering to empty promises in your life, ask the Spirit of the living God to come and change you and redeem you and fill you with His presence. And you'll see your life change. Changing you and I is a piece of cake for God. How do I know that? Because he left the tomb empty. Everything I've preached to you today is hinging on that being true. If it's not true, I'm a fool. True. The tomb is empty. Therefore, your life can be made new. You can have new obligations. Number three. I have a new identity. Everybody say, I have a new identity. See, when I, what I do does not dictate who I am. Who I am dictates what I do. If I am an enemy of God, if I'm an unbeliever, not a, not a child of God, <coughs> then I will live like an enemy of God. I will live like someone who's not a child of God. I will live like someone who doesn't like God or believe in God. See, who I am dictates what I do, not the other way around. If I'm a child of God, then I will live like a child of God. Simple, right? Maybe not so simple. Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That, that, that language means Papa, Papa, Daddy, Daddy. Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, if children, catch the language, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, in Christ, I have a new identity. My new identity is the identity of a child of God. We've been learning that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. I don't need to hide my sin. I don't need to grovel in my sin. I certainly don't need to live in the pig pen, believing that this is the best life I can hope for in my weak, sick, and sinful state. 
My Father in heaven isn't too afraid. He's not too weak to take care of what I've broken. My Father in heaven has declared me perfect because of Christ's work at the cross and the empty tomb. Therefore, I and you, if you're in the same camp, we can run into His presence. We can throw ourselves on His lap. We can soak up His joy over us as He fixes our broken lives. Your Father in heaven walked into the orphanage of Satan's sin in the grave. He called you by name, and He may be calling you by name right now saying, come and trust in Me and follow Me. If that's true, then He's adopted you. He's signed your adoption papers in the blood of His Son Jesus, and that blood, that blood signature on your adoption papers can never be erased. The Holy Spirit is not a cosmic eraser. Not. great truth about all of this is that you're here this morning and you're a believer and you've trusted in Christ. Your Father in Heaven has set His affection upon you. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, this is an invitation for you to come and to rest in the affection of your Heavenly Father. The truth of this passage teaches us that God's Spirit proclaims freedom to our souls. For freedom I have set you free. Proclaims liberation to my mind. Proclaims sonship to my heart. I I belong to Him and nothing can ever change that. I I can now run down the driveway in my grave clothes. My Father will meet me there every time. A brand new set of spotless clothes covers up my nakedness as He reminds me that my guilt and my shame have been removed through the work of Jesus at the cross. When He places His living Spirit inside of you, His Spirit preaches a message to you, proclaims a message to you, proclaims it to me daily as I walk in relationship with Him. When I spend time with my Father in prayer, when I spend time with my Father in the Scriptures and through worship and and study and, and silent times, He renews my mind renews my heart, renews my soul with this message. He says to me, you may hear Him saying it to you with your name, the shed blood of my Son Jesus, you are mine. I don't despise you, Joey. I delight in you. I'm not disappointed in you, Abe. I'm delighting over you. I'm not Disgusted with you, Brandon. I'm delighted in you. Not defined by your destructive behavior, Christy. You're defined by my delight over you in the cross of Christ. Just take your name and just insert it in there. Speaking to you by name. You're not just some faceless, nameless person. Father delights over you. You see, you and I, if we've trusted in Christ, we are heirs to the king's delight over us. That's really what we are heirs to. It's his delight over us in the cross of Christ. When it, when it comes time to suffer, as you look at the end of this passage, <clears throat> when it comes time to suffer in the face of temptation, or time to suffer in the face of sin, or time to suffer in the face of persecution, 
If you trusted in Christ, then you and I are enabled by the power of the Spirit to suffer with Him as we look forward to the hope of heaven. This is what Paul means when he says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Our future glorification is really our future hope. And this is the hope of the resurrection. This is the hope of Easter Sunday. This is the hope of every day. But it's the hope of the resurrection alive inside of us. We know that since Christ has been resurrected, He has also been glorified in heaven. Therefore, we have the same hope because we have the same identity. It's a resurrection identity. The sin that Jesus died for doesn't define you any longer. Satan has no power over you. The grave is not the final answer for your life. Satan, sin, and the grave have been crucified with Christ. They were destroyed on the third day when the stone was rolled away and our Savior walked out of the grave. This is your identity. You've trusted in Christ. This is your new identity of the resurrected Jesus dwelling in and through you and me. There is therefore now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. If you haven't trusted in that promise, you still live in condemnation. That weight is on you. Jesus took that weight. You've trusted in Jesus. You have a new life. You have a new obligation. You have a new identity. This is the hope of Easter. Easter is not about Easter eggs and Easter candy. Easter is about something far more important. It's called eternity. On Friday night, Jesus died a brutal death. Thank God that on Sunday morning He rose again and He walked out of that grave. Death has been destroyed. Sin has been erased. Satan has been absolutely crushed. And when the power of hell seems to be too unbearable for you, when the promise of sin appears on the horizon in front of you, and when the fear of death consumes you, you can stand up and you can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. The resurrected Christ has given me a new life. The resurrected Christ has given me a new got to. And the resurrected Christ has given me a brand new identity. The resurrected Christ is living in and through me by the power of the Spirit of the living God. Amen. Let me pray. Father, um, Father, I realize that I have just preached a message with really only one application point, and that is to trust in you. Trust in your work at the cross and trust in your work at the empty tomb. There is no other thing that we could walk out of here and do that would matter for all of eternity other than that. So Father, I pray that you would come now by the power of your Spirit and that you would help us to rest in that promise that we have in the cross and the empty tomb that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray now, Father, that you would come and do what I am completely unable to do, which every one of us in this room is unable to do, and that is to change and transform hearts in the final moments of our time. 
But I know that there are some here this morning who have not trusted in you and have not followed you. I pray, Father, that you would come by your spirit and give brand new hearts in place of dead hearts. That you would make brand new people. That you would make us new creations in Christ Jesus. Trust you to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.